Welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. We have Charlotte Dunford on with us here today. Charlotte, I appreciate your time. And uh, take a look at their website because what they've accomplished in over the last couple of years is, is unbelievably fast. They started off with zero trailer parks. They're up to 20. Is that right, 24. Charlotte? 24 now. 24. $4.6 million in in assets here. So this is this is growing extremely fast in the past two years. And we're going to be talking a little bit about how she's doing it, what they're doing, and and uh, take a look at how they're making these work here. So head over to johnscreekcapital.com for some more information, and you can see uh, some of their portfolio there. But Charlotte, I really appreciate your time here today. Thanks so much for having me. So I always have to ask, what made you start in trailer parks? Right. So, you know, I graduated college in 2017. So it's only a few years ago and I was quite young and I started the job at, uh, you know, after graduating from a, a t- one of the top engineering schools here in the South at uh, Georgia Institute of Technology. I, uh, I took a job here uh, in Georgia as a business analyst. So pretty much Right after I took the job, I used my small salary to qualify financing to buy my first property and a single that that was a single family home in the south of Atlanta. And after that, using the experience I had, I bought another duplex using my salary to qualify for financing. And that was my second investment. And after that, it became quite difficult to scale as my salary was not high enough or as a fresh college grad to qualify for bigger deals or loans. And it was not keeping up with my ambition and my uh, vision of scaling this business with my salary jumps, obviously. So I took a pretty calculated risk. And um, based on the knowledge and experience I did have, I quit my job uh, to start my own company. It was a pretty big risk for me because at the time, my husband was still in, in school, in college, didn't have a job offer on the table. I didn't have a job. And I started this company along with my business partner, which grew to Johns Creek Capital today. So I saw this niche and saw the vast potential of this industry as the demand for affordable housing is ever growing and the supply stays low as there are not many mobile home parks being built or will be built due to zoning regulations. So it was really a blue ocean for me and then had a quite low barrier to entry compared to multifamily where the big boys have been at it for decades. So I wanted to be a monopoly in a small niche and then expand to a bigger market. And that's how it started. Sure. So let's let's talk a little bit about the acquisition process here. You know, you've had some experience regarding probably some single family homes. Is that where you started with with some rental? That's property? The first one, correct. That's yeah. my first. That was so my first what would you what would you say is the biggest difference there? Is it, is it just as easy to acquire a trailer park as it is a single family home? Like, let's do a little comparison there. Right. So 
to acquire a good asset is never easy and it never should be easy. So it's easy to buy some really unattractive and really trashy properties and you will lose money on it, but it's never easy and never should be easy to buy any good assets. And same goes with mobile home parks. The reason why I it wasn't necessarily easy for me to do mobile home parks, it is more profitable. I just saw more potential in it. So as far as the acquisition process, as mobile home parks is really in the commercial property realm, uh, even though you know you see people living in trailer parks and they are residential, but it really is a commercial property. The reason I say that is because the closest asset class to mobile home parks is a parking lot. So it is a parking lot business. So imagine the mobile homes parking in your parking lot, mobile home parks, are just paying you parking fees. So that's what really a mobile home park is, is a parking lot. So it's a commercial property. So as with any commercial property, the evaluation process is based on strictly based on the net operating income and the cap rate. And that's how you get your value. And obviously we have, you know, based on the uniqueness of this asset class itself, we have 15 major different parameters in determining whether or not this deal is a good deal or not. You know, some of the major ones include the city population, whether it's in its MSA, the MSA population, and then the ratio of the tenant-owned homes versus park-owned homes. And that's important. And also the uh, utility infrastructure, because the biggest money loser in this industry would be utility issues, pipe bursts, and any infrastructure issues. That is huge. So there are certain parameters. And, but as far as getting into it and buying the asset, it's, it's never easy, and it shouldn't be. Sure. So when you're acquiring these trailer parks, I know that a lot, a lot of, especially major cities, they really don't have an appetite to rezone areas anymore to create anymore. It seems like whatever is available in the market today, that's what's what's going to be available. In fact, they're probably being absorbed in some ways and, and we're probably seeing fewer trailer parks. Yeah. So where are you, where are you sourcing most of these? Are, are they directly like mom and pop type trailer parks or is, is it, are you finding them off the MLS like loop.net? Where are you finding them? So they can be found anywhere, to be honest. And like you said, you're spot on in that, you know, there are fewer and fewer trailer parks because cities and counties, they don't like mobile home parks because of tax reasons, mostly. And they want the mobile home parks to die. Then how do they do that? They tell you that you cannot move into new homes, into the mobile home parks after certain homes deteriorate. And there is a life expectancy of mobile homes and they do die and they want your park to die. That's why the supply is low. Uh, but there are other things you can do to work around it, but it's very difficult to build a new mobile home parks, like you said. And as far as sourcing them um, throughout, you know, I wouldn't say years, but it has been years, a couple of years uh, since I started doing this. We've built seller, broker and, uh, you know, just uh, relationships that would send us those deals and knowing that we are a qualified buyer and we can close the deal and uh, we just have a lot of relationships going on in the industry and also obviously what's accessible to everybody online um, on mobile home park store and all the other good sources everybody's watching them and we are certainly sourcing them every single day there isn't a deal that goes by in the market as far as you know we can get hands on them online definitely that we haven't looked at underwritten either past or pursued Sure. So I know one of your strategies is is focusing on the 
sparks with higher cap rates. So have have you found that as part of the challenge or what type of trailer, what type of mobile home parks are you typically finding with those higher cap rates? Right. So to when I started, when we started really in 2019, 2020, it wasn't difficult to find parks with higher cap rates. The average cap rate was eight to 10 percent, you know, given the uh, the size of the park. And we are in the niche of small mobile home parks, which makes the higher cap rates even more uh, accessible. Uh, fast forward two years later in 2022, it is a little bit more difficult to get higher cap rates. But, you know, the the beauty of deal making is be able to getting to to get what you want at a higher cap rate, and uh, that's part of the magic of negotiating, really. So it, it is difficult, but um, like I said, any good deal should be difficult, and it, it is what uh, you make your money at acquisition. So the acquisition process is really the 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 bread and butter, the the backbone of the business. Sure. So I know that another aspect that you try to do is, is raise the lot rents. Like what is that just market analysis? They're, they're typically under, underperforming today where they probably should be, or are you bringing in some more amenities in order to justify the rent increases? I'd say it's both because most of the parks that we buy from and the most profitable ones that you buy from are going to be mom and pop operators. If you don't have, if you buy from institutionalized operators, there's no meat on the bone and you'd be getting the 3% cap rate. There wouldn't be much profit for you to share. So if you buy it from mom and pop operators, usually the rent is way below market. And what we look at is this gap between mobile home park lot rents versus the apartment building rent or uh, the amount that you would pay if you were to qualify for a mortgage. So those are two different housing products. And we want to make sure that there is a huge gap, at least two to three, two to $400 of gap of lot rent and the other housing product to make sure there is enough demand and attractiveness of this way cheaper and more affordable housing product. So that's what our standard is as far as raising lot rent to, is that we don't want to raise it to the point that it's the same as apartment buildings, that nobody will want to move into trailer park if they can afford an apartment building. It's the same as apartment building lot rent. Though, you know, what we do provide is this pride of ownership, is that, you know, you, the, 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 the homeowners, this American dream of owning a home, having some privacy, having your own home and having your own parking area. And that is the product that we, we do offer. So as far as raising rents, we don't raise it more than $50 per year. Um, usually it depends on when was the last time you know, the rent was increased. And that is a very small expense for, um, you know, you'll be at one to two Chili's meal. So it's, it's more you know, able to handle then, you know, if you're talking about renting an apartment, how they raise rent is not $50 per year. You know, I believe the audience who have rented an apartment know that they raise it by the hundreds, not $50. $50. So I think uh, as far as raising lot rent, it is profitable. It adds directly to your bottom line. However, um, we are careful with what we, you know, we want it to be a win-win situation for us and the tenants, not just, you know, taking advantage of someone who can't afford rent that that would not never be sustainable and it's never going to be a long-term strategy. Right. Well, I know one of the clever ways in which to take care of some of these rent uh, increases as well is to make sure that the utilities is pushed to the resident, right? I, I've run into, you know, I've, I've taken a look at some trailer parks or mobile home parks in the past. And that's been one of the things is that some of the, they don't even meter the water to the, to the, uh, 
mobile homes. So I'm sure that that's one of the many ways in which you can, in a way, increase rent, lot rent. Right. Yes, definitely. So that's a way to drastically lower expenses. And if you were to submetering submeter the park, you can make your money back fairly quickly. And that is a great value add strategy. So what we usually do is that we, if we were to build back utilities, we usually don't choose not to. We usually choose not to raise rent as much. So it has to be a balance. You can't do both and at a drastic rate. People will just be driving. You just be driving people out, and you'll be ending up with abandoned trailers, and that's your problem now. Sure. Just to remind everybody, uh, head over to uh, her, the website, johnscreekcapital.com, so you can learn a little bit more. Because what, uh, Charlotte, you're, you and your team are essentially syndicating and acquiring these properties, right? Correct. Yes. So how can uh, somebody get involved with that aspect and how does that, uh, does that work? Right. So um, to uh, invest with us, I think uh, well, as far as process goes, like you said, go to our website at johnscreekcapital.com and there is a contact form on the bottom of the, the homepage. Simply fill it out and we'll re reach out to you within the same day. And, um, you know, as far as how it works with us, we, our investors are, are one of our primary clients and we offer investor right now at 8% preferred rate of return. And uh, after that follows by a waterfall structure in the syndication. It's pretty standard, um, 70, 30, 70 being the investor, 30 being us. And then once we reach another hurdle at 12%, it jumps to 60, 40, and then 16% at 50, 50, and it stops there. This hurdle, this um, waterfall structure resets every year and it's accumulated cash on cash return, which means that um, if the first year we don't reach the 8%, usually the first year is the lowest, we're looking at four to 5%. So, you know, with the 3% uh, deficit, it adds up to the second year. So investors will always be made whole um, to get their 8% and more. So that's that's kind of the you know rough structure. And if you would like to know more, definitely go to our website and then fill out the form. And I, um, I will set up a call with you uh, to talk through everything in detail. Well, in order to hit those goals, I'm going to guess you have to make some significant management changes when it comes to taking care of these mobile home parks. What are you doing differently or what are some of the bigger thing changes that you consistently seem to have to be making when it comes to management of these assets? Well, actually, what's interesting is that we, we don't actually have to do, you know, a, a drastic management. Here's what, what we think is that if the previous manager neglected their park so much to the point that a new management is going to make that much of a change, then maybe it's not a good asset to go after. So what we focus on is that we believe that you make the money when you acquire, when you buy. After you buy it, it might be too late. So what, what we mean is that you have to buy at a good cap rate. So you have to go in at a good cap rate, meaning that it's already making money for you. It's already at 10% cap rate, 8% cap rate, and it's not at 1% cap rate. And you have to do, you know, burn money, burn your capital to pour into those parks to make it work. So that's what we're really focusing on is the parks that are already performing well, getting a good deal, uh, do value add um, you know, activities such as, you know, sub metering is a value add and adding, you know, doing from a management perspective, adding more long care, taking better care of the property, cosmetic upgrades, those things um, to make it the park more attractive for more tenants. So that's really what we primarily focus on. And then the exit is important as well. When you sell, you know, 
uh, as those, if you are interested in multifamily, you know that then NOI is, is it's, you know, the, the value of the park is based on NOI. So the NOI is definitely raised because of the, the efficient management and also the increased rent and maybe uh, infilling. The value uh, increases drastically. So you make the most money when you exit. Sure. So with with all of that being said, you know, one of the things that I've I've always kind of struggled to with as well when it comes to mobile home parks is vacant lots. So how do you how do you handle that? You know, it's all fine and dandy thinking that uh, people will move in a trailer house, but I, I I would suspect that that in practice that actually doesn't really happen. You have to do that kind of yourself. You mostly have to do that yourself in today's economy with the labor shortage and everything is in shortage, supply chain shortage. It's extremely difficult to buy a new mobile home and move it into your park. It's just almost impossible or old. Old ones are, you know, it's really, it's rare on the market. So so what we, we did have people, you know, move into our park. Uh, but we do have to pay the lot prep fee and preparing the lot for someone to move in. And that, that does happen because the track is more attractive now. And for the majority of the times, you do have to do it yourself. And there is there are different ways to do it. And there, there are different processes that uh, surrounds that. Hopefully, um, I think as our economy improves and we get out of this, I would say, re- recession-ish kind of economy for the past couple of years, the used mobile home market would revive a little bit more and then it might be back to normal as far as filling a vacant lot. But right now it's extremely difficult. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when you do have like, for the most part, I would, I would suspect that when people are moving out, they probably leave the trailer park behind or they offer to to sell it to you, or you might just assume ownership of it because they're past you on, on lot rent or, or what have you. What, what do you do then? Do you rent those? trailers out? Do you sell them to new owners? What? How does that look? So since we never own the trailers, we cannot sell them. So the most thing that we can do is that encourage the last buyer to sell it to another tenant. And um, and then um, that tenant then becomes a new lot renter. So it's business as usual. So and then another scenario would be we buy it from the tenant at an extremely low rate, and then we sell it to someone else. And another scenario is probably the least favorable, and it's the most expensive for us as park uh, owners would be that they simply abandon the home. You can't find them, and you have to evict them as if they're there because you have to evict the trailer itself. And the court will issue an order, and you can start the process on the abandonment process that the court will eventually deem it abandoned. Then you can start you know, getting the title, but that is a long process The you know, the, the, the shortest ones take six, to nine months. So it, you're going to have six to nine months with no money coming in. So that's not very favorable, but it's, it's something you can do as long as you own the land, you have the power, but do, do beware that there are better ways to solve this problem. Yeah. So I, you know, I've, I've heard of some people having some success in, in contacting that, that original owner, especially if there's some some rent that is owed so that instead they, they think, you know, you're, you're chasing them for a little money, but to uh, kind of be a part of the settlement, getting them to sign off on the title and getting it transferred quickly. Yeah, definitely. That kind of transactions happen all the time. And it's just the deal with the owner saying that, Hey, you know, you don't have to do this. It's a win-win situation. Um, sure. So, you know, with, with all that, you, you, you mentioned the old owner selling it to a new owner, owner, 
what type of vetting, if, if anything, do you do to make sure that that new resident is a good fit? That's extremely important. You know, evictions are difficult to deal with. And we, you know, uh, bad tenants are, are not uh, good news for anybody. And a good tenant is as good as gold. And especially in this business, um, a tenant in a mobile home park, we, we, we look at them as stakeholders because they, they have their home in our park. And it's, it's, it's pretty stable there. And they don't just, you know, it's not like apartment renter. They can leave just like that. So it's important to vet them. So we do have our own application process and our own criteria in vetting those tents. Sure. So uh, every, I, I'd assume that you're with the syndication and, if, and the way you're doing this, you're, you're kind of leading towards some sort of exit strategy of one one way or another on these parks what does that look like do you, you are you trying to hold on, on to them forever or do you right do you... right so as our clients are mostly investors and they you know what investors care about is the return on investment right so what we care what we want is that those deals are usually 3 to 5 years hold so they're not really long term we care about velocity of capital we want to make sure that we our investor have you know the highest irr internal rate of return possible and the annualized cash cash on cash return as well, and their their and then their equity multiple. So that's important parameters that we you know first we present to investors, and then we, we must deliver at we want to deliver at and above the promise rates. So so we do we do not hold them on forever. We our extra strategy is to sell them to you know it's all through, always through a sale um, or refinance, uh, but mostly through a sale. Uh, as a matter of fact, we're going through a sale right now that has um, delivered pretty good results um, above what we promised. And um, well, it's going through; it hasn't been done yet. But that's you know, since we started in 2020, uh, hasn't been that long. So, but the most for the most part, our whole time through to five years, and um, the important things that we deliver those results. Sure. So are there certain parts of the country that you focus on or is it uh, pretty much anywhere? Right. We do focus on the Southeast and the Midwest the most. We have the heaviest presence there, but we do have a couple of parks up North, uh, one in Maine and then one out West in Arizona. But um, we are looking to expand more at, uh, in, in the, in, in the out West uh, in states like Texas or um, and Arizona and definitely uh, to strengthen our presence uh, already in the Southeast and the Midwest. Sure. And then with those, going back to the residents a little bit there, are you focusing on certain type of residents? Like I know I, I've talked to uh, a couple other investors who who do mobile homes and they, they focus on like more retirement communities, for example. Some do and uh, some don't. I think for us, um, we, we don't have a preference for over 55 retirement community. Uh, what we care about is the deal itself and the NLI and all the, the good stuff like cap rate and uh, all the good stuff. So, yeah. Well, yeah. With, with 24 mobile mobile home parks now spread across the footprint you're at, I mean, there must be, has been some challenges regarding boots on the ground mm-hmm. management locally. How, how does that all work out for you? So, you know, we're based in Georgia, so we kind of act like the uh, corporate headquarters where uh, all of our uh, local teams that we assemble during due diligence and after acquisition, you know, they consist of local uh, city authorities and um, local electricians, um, plumbers, and other type of contractors to kind of be our eyes and ears and boots on the ground uh, locally. So when a problem comes up, uh, they uh, we send them a request and they take care of it. And we also have our in-house, you know, kind of a value-add coordinator uh, employee 
um, who who works for us, and he he is kind of our I think the I will call him the the officer that assembles all of these people and you know put them to work. So um, we because we have those localized efforts and teams and boots on the ground, it hasn't been as much of a challenge as it, it sounds like it would be because you know we have we run parks out of di- ten different states, um, but because of localized effort. Uh, it, it is it is pretty efficient, and we haven't had problems with um, the challenges regarding as far as you know the the, the, the parks are far. Um, sure. Okay. Well, just a reminder: head over to johncreekscapital.com. Uh, learn a little bit more about what Charlotte and her team are doing. And uh, Charlotte, I really appreciate your time today, but I kind of warned you it was coming. Is there a question you wished we would have covered here today? Well, I think something unique about, you know, a company is not just the, its operations, also about its founders. And for me, you know, uh, there's a story I always want to share. It's not a phenomenal story, but I think, you know, how uh, I think there's something that inspires some confidence in who we are and what we do, uh, because uh, I'm an immigrant to this country. So I, um, the reason I got into property is because uh, I was born and raised in China up until I was 16 years old. And um, we were actually unable to own properties under the Chinese communist regime. And I decided to um, go to the United States to pursue new opportunities at age 16. I did not come with my parents, any relatives or friends. I did not know a single soul in America, did not have money or even a phone, spoke very little English. So I pretty much had to start from the scratch for, to build a life. So I absorbed as much knowledge as I could every day, like a sponge. I remember I would put sticky notes on my bedroom walls to help me remember new English words. And I forced myself into the culture and wanted a full heartedly to become part of the American society. I remember, you know, my host mom bought a Chinese cookbook and wanted to try make me Chinese food. And I told her I want to eat whatever you guys eat and was in it for the long haul. And I started with eating the local food. So I think through the hard work, as a high schooler, I was able to get into one of the top colleges and um, and then became what I am today. So I do want to deliver the message that, you know, we are in a place where uh, everything is possible. And, uh, you know, you're, you know, at Johns Creek Capital, that is the value that we believe in is this resilience and this curiosity towards the world. And, you know, I've been through you know, some things in my life, given my experience. So uh, investors do trust that, you know, uh, someone with this background, you know, has gone through some things, not just some 28 year old uh, kid who's gone through nothing. And, you know, uh, I've, I've been through some interesting things and I do have a pretty good resilience uh, in the background. Uh, so that's something that I do want to deliver to the listeners. No, that's, that's awesome. And I think a great way to, to end this episode. Uh, again, I really appreciate your time, Charlotte. I hope you'll consider coming back again sometime. We can dive a little deeper on maybe maybe some business aspects. Uh, we can really nerd out on a couple of things. I have a, I have a feeling, but uh, Sounds good. Re- really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Have you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing? If so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.